Thank you, Sai. Uh, how's the 10 a.m. doing? Yeah, yeah, it's got to be good. If you're online, I'm so glad that you are here. It's been an interesting morning, and it will continue to be an interesting day. Um, I am the dad of some toddlers who brought home tummy bugs, and at 3.30 this morning, the tummy bug decided to visit me. And uh, so I'm feeling a bit weak, but it's going to be good. It's funny that, it's, that we're preaching on a guy who got vomited out by a whale when I know that experience quite well um, in the last uh, few hours. You think I joke. I'm talking about like in between the 8 and 10. That's real life. Um, here's what I love about Jonah because we're jumping into part two. Um, Jonah is super unique in the midst of the prophets and even within the minor prophets because as uh, Lest had kicked us off last week explaining, a prophet is someone that is used by God to bring his message to a people. And that happens with Jonah, but there's a unique layer that gets added because when God works with Jonah, what he does is he will also use a people, the Ninevites, the people he was called to go and preach to, and he will use the people to speak to the heart of his prophet. Because Jonah needed some transformation. He needed some heart change. There was things that God needed to get in to correct. And so I love this formula. And where uh, Les took us through last week was the word of the Lord coming to Jonah, uh, entering in and him being completely scared, uh, not, not keen on it, and heading the, in, the, in the opposite direction. Getting on a boat, heading for Spain uh, with no other option. No, he's not going to entertain it. And in the midst of that running, this rebel prophet gets met by God as he hurls a storm upon the sea to halt him in his tracks. The sailors on the boat don't know what's going on. They are freaks out. They start to cry out to their different gods that they would be saved. They ask Jonah, call out to your God. And what comes out is that this storm has been brought upon them by Jonah. This is a little bit of a sidebar. Let's didn't get into this uh, so much last week. But when you're in the midst of the storm, there's two things that are important. There are two things that can only come from God, and that is discernment and wisdom. When you're in the midst of a a storm, you should be able to discern where the storm has come from. Has it come from your action? Have you brought it upon yourself? Is it the brokenness of the world that has brought it? Or is it someone else's storm that you're sitting in? For the sailors, they were sitting in Jonah's storm. And then comes the second part, which is even more important, is wisdom. Because there will be moments that God calls us to sit and support those who are in a storm, no matter how it came about. But there will also come the moment where God in his wisdom says, that's their storm to deal with. Don't worry, I've got them. You need to get out. Jonah reaches the point where he realizes he has brought his, this storm unfairly upon these sailors. And he reaches the end of himself, stops his running, uh, has a wake-up call, and basically says to the sailors, well, throw me overboard. It's, him, it's me that he's looking for. And there's one thing I love about this. It is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. If you're new to the space and new and looking in, uh, if you're online and, and just jumping in on the stream, I want to encourage you that it is so important to see this in the story of Jonah, that it is the story of the good news of Jesus. Because what you see in the midst of Jonah is Jesus talking about it in Matthew chapter 12. He talks about the sign of Jonah. This is what he says in verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three nights and three, de- three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with at this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
It's important to look at the words of Jesus because he makes it very clear that as we read through Jonah, as we take a look at his experience, we need to know it is not a fable, it is not a fairy tale. He was a historical man that walked through this miraculous work of God in saving him in the open ocean. And the moment where Jonah comes and says, throw me overboard, is the moment where he gets to the end of himself and says, I'm gonna throw it all out so that I put my hands, my fate in the hands of God. It's a beautiful picture because the start of the gospel is us realizing we can run no longer, we can't save ourselves, and we have to throw ourselves at God. And he's faithful to catch us. Because he is the God who cares, he is the God who makes a way of salvation. And so he will appoint a great fish to save Jonah. And he will be in that belly three days and three nights, and it's a picture of Jesus' burial, death, resurrection. It is the means for our salvation. But we can't miss that the means of Jonah's salvation wasn't just a fish, it was the one who sent the fish. Because it was a foreshadowing of Jesus, the one who would come and bring salvation to the world. Let me pray and we're gonna get into this. Father God, it's my prayer right now as we go through this account of uh, your prophet Jonah, your rebellious runaway prophet and how you so graciously deal with him. It's my prayer that we would see ourselves in Jonah that we would know that we are Jonah, that we have all had our moments where we run from your purpose, from your presence, when we want to go our own way, and yet you pursue us and you graciously meet us in our mess. It's my prayer that you would speak deeply to each one of us, exactly where we are at. It's the beautiful thing about your word. Through your spirit, it can be translated hundreds of different ways uh, to talk directly to us. Would you do that? Would you be over my words? Would you give me strength to do this? In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. I gave this message the title, This Way Up, because for Jonah, it really was a rock bottom moment. I don't think he realized the floor of the rock bottom was gonna be the, uh, the skin of a whale, but it was. And for that, him at that moment, there was only one way to go and it was up. But the, uh, the journey of that process, the belly experience is an important one because I think it's got a lot to tell us. Let's read the, this passage. It starts at the end of chapter one in verse 17. It says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, that's death and the grave, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the depth, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to, to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah had so much brokenness that Jesus had to deal with, so much brokenness that only the presence of God could deal with, and he in his grace was going to correct and discipline his, uh, his prophet. But most importantly, he understood that this prophet was in need of salvation and that that salvation could only come through the Lord. And so he will go through this belly process and it will be a process of transformation. And there's three things I wanna highlight for us today. The first one is right perspective. The second is right process. And the third is right prayer. All key ingredients to getting the belly experience right. 
First one, right perspective. Jonah's perspective in his running from God's purpose was clear. His perspective was one of danger and fear. And I think sometimes we look down on Jonah for it. Like, how could you? You got got called upon by God in the most real way. Surely you turn and you obey. But if we have to be honest with ourselves, if we have to contextualize exactly what God was calling Jonah to do, I wonder if we would have not done the same. Let me put it in modern day for you. I'll go to modern day Nineveh, which is in Mosul, Iraq. I don't know if you know, it's still a scary place. Now imagine God comes to you, calls you to that place, that you will preach a Christian message of the gospel, that through Jesus they must be saved. They must turn and repent from their sin. Otherwise, in 40 days, the whole city will be destroyed. And to make it very clear that you are an enemy, because that's what Jonah was, going to the Ninevites, a pagan people, an enemy people. He was the, the greatest enemy. He would have been enemy number one. To make it, and I, I exaggerate, but it makes the point. You have to go and preach to that city, to Mosul, Iraq, and you have to do it dressed in a full American flag suit. And you have to be wearing a Make America Great Trump cap and tell them, right, it's time to turn back to God. Anybody up for that? See, I think we sometimes look down at Jonah and his perspective of fear and, hey, I want to do that. I'm not in for that. But would we be so different? But we see this change in his perspective. And the moment actually comes still on the boat. His perspective changes when he says to the sailors, throw me overboard. Because this is what he, the, the truth that he grabbed a hold of. That obedience, even in danger, is far better than disobedience in safety. That it is far better to be in the open ocean where death might be a certainty and be in the presence of God than to be out of the presence and will of God safely on the boat. He works out that that's the only way this can go. He'll risk that obedience. And I love how he puts it as you read that almost poetic prayer of Jonah from the whale. It's a prayer which echoes scripture, echoes the Psalms. And every single time you'll see, he'll talk about, I cried out and you heard me. I called out and you answered me. And I wonder if our perspective is that today. I wonder if your perspective on God is that you can cry out and he will answer that you can call out to him and he will meet you in that call. I think sometimes when we're in the midst of our darkness, when we're in the midst of our uh, lack of clarity, we think we cry out and God doesn't hear us, doesn't care, and actually he's not doing anything about it. I think Jonah had to turn his perspective around and realize, hey, if I cry out, God will answer. See, because sin in its simplest form, in in the simple understanding of it, is running away from God running away from the presence of God, the purpose of God, the ways of God. And yet sin is met by the grace of God, and that grace is him running and pursuing after us. Even in our rebellion, even in our runaway state, anyone who has been a parent of a little one will know this. I've got two toddlers, three and 17 months. We've gone through this process twice. It's the same for everyone. When they start to go from baby to toddler and they begin to walk and the walk becomes a run, there is only one thing that baby wants to do and it's run away from you. Any time of day or night, if their eyes are open, they're gone. And as a good dad, it's your job to follow along to pursue them even in their runaway state. Because what will happen in this moment happened countless times is they will trip and fall because they get overconfident and they need dad to pick them up and put them back together. 
Or there'll be a moment where something jumps out, something unexpected happens and it frightens them and in their fear they turn around and if you're a good dad and you're not there, something's gone wrong. But in their fear they come to their dad to be comforted. We can run in our sin but God will always pursue us in his grace. He's right there to turn back as Jonah cried out in the midst of his disobedience 3,200 kilometers away from where God had called him to. God is right there. I cried out and he answered me. I love that it says the Lord appointed a great fish. I know there's arguments, was it a fish, was it a whale? Can I just say, it's a great conversation to have. It doesn't matter to the message. Um, so you'll hear me say, whale, fish, please don't email me tomorrow about it. But in the midst of this passage, and it actually gets translated uh, differently in other translations where it says that God provided a great fish that swallowed up Jonah. I think it's so important in our perspective that we see this, that we can never mistake God's provision as God's punishment. Because when we get our perspective wrong on the experience, on what's going on, we will see this as punishment. I went the wrong way, I ran away, now you've done this, you've brought me into this place, this horrible place, that must be punishment. No, God provided the whale. Because the question is, was it worse than the destruction that was sure in the open water? No. God will save and he gets to do it in any way that he pleases. And maybe you've been in or maybe you're in right now that belly today. Maybe you're feeling the uncomfortableness of it. Maybe you're feeling the darkness, the unsureness of it, where you feel no control, restricted, and you don't actually know what's going on. I believe we need to get a hold of this right perspective as we think about the belly experience. But then it takes us into our second big area where we need to get right process, where that actually will not just correct our thinking about the belly experience, it will correct our thinking through the belly experience. Jonah would be there three days, three nights. Stuff was going to go down. So what did he have to think about that process? Because we can't put lipstick on the pig. The belly experience is unpleasant. It's not a nice place to be. I'm sure it was dark and claustrophobic and wet and sticky. When he talked about the seaweed wrapped around his head, I'm sure that was literal. I'm sure that's actually what was going on in the midst of that belly. But the truth is that as much as it is an unpleasant experience, it's a necessary one because God uses it to process in us. The process is important. Because as we look at Jonah's belly experience, we find two things happening. We find it's a place of discipleship and devotion. That it is the place where God will actually disciple his rebel prophet into deep devotion for his God. That he will actually disciple him into the place where he's set up for his purpose. Because we know that God loves to work with broken things. And broken things are in need of healing. Jonah was broken and he was in need of the healing of God. And it seems so simple to us when we think of something like a broken bone. How do you heal a broken bone? You put it in a cast. A cast that will restrict its movement, that will hold it in alignment so it grows back correctly. It will shield that area from the elements. It will give that area rest before the activity that comes later. Does that sound a little bit familiar when we look at Jonah's story? God would use the belly of the whale as his cast where he would bring healing to the brokenness within his rebellious prophet. And so when you're in that space where you're feeling restricted or unclear or sitting in the dark, it's easy to understand our mind goes to, Lord, would you save me from this? Would you get me out of this? This sucks. 
this is stinky and horrible. I don't want to be here. Would you save me from this? But we forget God's most important message. Let the belly do its work. We sit in a space where we're so desperate for resolution, but we forget that there is a process in the belly that God is wanting us to go through because it's actually what is best for us. It might be horrible in the moment, but it sets us up for eternity. James 1 verse 3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jonah had to be there three days, three nights. God didn't pull him out after one day, one night. Didn't pull him out after two days. He had to complete the process because there was deep brokenness and it needed to, be, needed to be met by deep healing. And I know that might be hard to hear in the midst of your struggle right now. I know that might be hard to hear when you're sitting in the belly and it's uncomfortable. But the encouragement is that it is not a destination. It is a process and so it's temporary. Because the truth is we're really horrible at vocalizing our experiences and our emotions. When we're in those spaces where it's painful and uncomfortable and hurting, we really need to process it well, but we don't have the tools to process it well because society has set us up to not do that. We live in an Instagram world where you put your best days online, you don't put your worst. We live in a place where we will put our pleasures out to the public, but our pains we will keep to private. And so we can get caught up in the lies of the process, believing this is a place of punishment and forgetting that God is doing a process. Now, I don't know, I just want to speak to you as a pastor. I don't know what the struggle looks like for you. I don't know how deep the darkness goes. I, 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 I can only imagine. But what I'm encouraged by in Scripture and what I believe you can be encouraged by in Jonah's story today is that we need God's presence far more than we need resolution to our struggle. See, for three days and three nights, Jonah would meet with God, commune with God, presence himself in the presence of God for three days and three nights. Can I tell you, that's far more powerful than any quick fix, than any uh, problem or obstacle getting removed out of the way. God wants to work in us. When we have right perspective, where we can correctly think about the process, and when we have right process, knowing that the process is going to do its work, it leads us to the last area, which is Jonah's response. It leads us to right prayer. This is where the real power comes in the belly experience. I want to give us seven insights that I see within Jonah's prayer in Jonah chapter 2. The first one is this, prayer changes us, not God. I want you to see the surety and the consistency of God in his words. In verse seven, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple, holy, set apart, unchanging, never wrong, perfect. God doesn't need our prayer. It doesn't serve him. In fact, it will serve us. We can't get into the Greek mythology kind of concept where the gods need to be fueled and fed by the prayers of man. That's not how it works with a holy God, with a God who is perfect in himself, in need of nothing, lacking nothing. His character doesn't need to be changed. His mind doesn't need to be changed. His thoughts don't need to be changed. All of those things are perfect. The question is, does our heart need to be changed? Does our brokenness need to be addressed? Does our mind need to be led into his truth and into his will? Do we need the transformation process? Don't misunderstand me here. Prayer is not going to change God, but it can move God to action. 
Spurgeon put it this way, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the arm of omnipotence. The all-powerful arm of God to move and to work and to save and to intervene in our lives and our circumstance can be moved by the slender nerve of prayer. God will use it to change us and it will set us up in alignment with His will so that He can move in our situation. The next one is that prayer is presence-driven, not service-driven comes back to the idea of resolution or presence. Presence is so important. It's so important that we know, as he speaks about, we enter into his holy temple to presence ourselves in his presence. It's not the space where we get to bring our shopping list to God. Hey, here's what I need, here's what I want, and even here's how I think you can do it. It's a place where we get to meet with God and sit in his presence. Next one, prayer must be specific. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out. General prayer will lead to general blessing. Jonah's not about that. He gets very specific in his prayer, whether he's giving thanksgiving or praise or whether he, he, he gets specific because he actually will echo scripture in that prayer. You'll see it, echoes of the Psalms coming out in his prayer, echoes of the revealed truth of God because he knew specific prayers, specific requests will lead to a specific action when God is brought into it. Because what it will do is it will align our hearts with his will. And we know when we look to scripture, it says that ask anything in my name and it will be done. Ask anything according to my will and it will be done. How much deeper will our prayers be when we are praying the revealed truth of God, his word, and that revealing his will to us. Next one is prayer must be passionate. This is an important one. Jonah gets super emotive in his language, super emotive in his prayer. And I think sometimes we get the wrong idea that for prayer to truly be powerful, it needs to be quiet and solemn and reserved. Can I tell you, there's a moment for that. But there's also the moment where you're the toddler having a tantrum at dad in prayer. God created us with high emotions. I know they can lead us to dodgy places. Prayer can help that. So bring your high anger, bring your high happiness, bring your high joy, bring your high sadness in prayer because what it will do is it will unlock the passionate, the passionate God that we serve. Next one is prayer closes the gap. I mentioned Greek mythology, this idea that God is distant. The God of the Bible is not that at all. He reveals himself as one who is near to us, near to us closer than a brother. Because other concepts of God would hold that God is our creator, he is perfect, so he created and he wandered off from creation, leaving us to our own devices, and that's where we see the imperfection. He's far away, he is not close. And yet when we come in prayer, we understand he's the dad who is following after us, the dad who's pursuing us so that when we fall, when we cry out, when we turn, he's right there. He's also the one who doesn't not understand our experiences, our struggles, and our crisis. Because Jesus, as he took on flesh, as he was fully God, but fully man, experienced the fullness of what it meant to be human. He knew every struggle we would have. He lost friends. He was betrayed by friends. He knew what it meant to be grieving, to be hungry, to be poor. He knew all of these things. And so when he says, I have compassion on you, I can help you, he knows what he's talking about. Next one, prayer transforms, transfers the burden. This was the most challenging one to me this week. I know maybe you're like me. Immediately throughout this, my prayer life has been challenged. Hey, how's your prayer life going? Can I tell you there's a more important question? It's not about the quality of our prayer life. 
when we're praying through struggle and through darkness and through the lack of clarity, the question we should be asking is, after that prayer experience, do we walk away with our stress, our anxiety, uh, all of that, is it less than when we started? Do we walk away with the same amount of burden or did we actually do what prayer calls us to? Where we say, hey God, here is my struggle, here is my pain, here is my stress, here is my crisis, I can't do anything with it, can I give it to you? And we walk away with the burden lightened. That's how it's supposed to go. And if it's not, there's been something wrong. That's why 1 Peter 5 encourages us in verse seven, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Last one is this. Prayer gives us a voice of thanksgiving. The real uh, antidote for Jonah in the midst of the belly was that God needed to align his worship because the big enemy that had come against Jonah was, the, was idolatry. So how will God turn around Jonah's disobedience? How he will turn around his brokenness? He will turn him to worship. He will turn his heart to worship the one true God. Look at what his words are in verse eight. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God uncovers Jonah's big problem and his big problem was idolatry. There's two types of people in scripture. We love to draw lines between people, whatever it is, race, class, gender. The Bible draws very few lines. One of the lines it will draw is the difference between those who are worshipers and those who are idolaters. Those who worship God and those who worship something else. See, because idolatry is taking a good thing and putting it in a bad place because it's a place that's reserved for God. God, and it's not a shock because God created us as worshipers. You're going to worship something or someone. It should be God. That's the place that's reserved for him, for our devotion, our focus, for all that we are. And yet so often we will take things that aren't bad in themselves, things like money, things like relationships, things like career, things like family, and we'll take that thing and we'll put it in the place of God and it becomes our little idol. For Jonah, he had two big idols. The one comes out a bit later in the story. It's the idol of prejudice. We actually find out that Jonah had a real struggle in his heart with racism. Because as he gets called to go to an enemy people, God will save them. They will repent. They will turn back. God will have mercy on them. And his reaction is one of anger because he says, but surely we're better than they are. The other idol that came in was the idol we see in his running. It's the idol of comfort. Hey, I'm going to call you to a purpose that is not going to be comfortable. And where does Jonah go? I'm going to go in my own way. I'm going to go with my own comfort where I can be in control. So how does God meet Jonah's idolatry? He turns his heart to worshiping Jesus, to worshiping God himself. And he talks about a comprehensive worship. There's even three dimensions when he talks about the worship that's in his heart. He talks about a voice of thanksgiving. So we worship with our words. He talks about, I will sacrifice to you. We worship with what we do. And then he says, I will pay what I have vowed. So we even worship with our wallet. It's so comprehensive that we will worship God with our words, with our works, and we will even worship him with the things he has given us to steward, the provision he has provided because it's all for his. See, true worship of God and the God in the Bible is we bring God our best and our worst. We will bring him our sin, we will bring him our stress, we will bring him our anxieties in worship. 
but we will also bring our gifts, our talents, our relationships, our families. Because at the end of the day, it's all His. And if true devotion is growing in our heart, it means that He is number one. It means that He is put first and that's the place reserved for Him. The answer is simple, to simply worship Jesus. John Calvin put it this way, I love it. He said, the human heart is a little idol factory. We need to be aware of that. And the question we should be asking is, where is my worship focused? Where have I set my gaze? Where have I set my devotion? I love how he ends his prayer. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then this passage ends in verse 10 where it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Two funny things. I... Uh, I pretty much can say this with certainty, one of the worst human experiences is the feeling of vomiting. But I'm pretty sure it's right up there to literally be vomited out yourself. Second thing I notice, and it's so funny, is you find a whale being more obedient than a prophet. The disobedient, runaway, rebellious prophet gets picked up, appointed, a God-appointed whale, picked up, taken three days, three nights journey, dropped off, thousands of kilometers away on a beach near Nineveh where the guy's supposed to be. Yep. Obedience at its finest. I love that Jonah finishes his prayer in the midst of the belly, and that's important to understand. His last words in the prayer in the belly is salvation belongs to the Lord. Do you get that he's talking about God is, God is, is saving me? The salvation is coming from him, it can't come from me. But he's saying it still within the belly. He hadn't been spat out yet. And yet, he is still saying salvation belongs to the Lord. He grabbed a hold of a truth that I think every single one of us will be challenged by. Worship has to precede deliverance. If it does not, then it doesn't need faith. And faith is a key ingredient. Because only with faith can we worship before God delivers. Only in faith can we worship in the midst of the belly before God will save and we trust and have faith in his character and who he is, that he is the God who will save. And so Jonah's words are salvation belongs to the Lord. As the band joins me on stage, why don't you stand? I just wanna lead us in a couple of moments for us to respond. I don't know what's been challenging you. I don't know what's been speaking to you in the midst of this. But I think there's three big areas of challenge, three big areas of response. And I'd encourage you right now, even as we get ready to sing, I hope that you are doing business with God in your heart asking him, what response are you calling me to? What step are you calling me to? The first one is maybe you are that runaway toddler. Maybe you've been that for a long time. Maybe you've gone back and you filled the role of that character for too long, where you have run from the presence of God, where you have run from the purpose of God. I wanna encourage you, God is right there next to you because he is a father who, who pursues us even in our rebellion, even in our runaway state. And he's made a way for our salvation. All we need to do is cry out. All we need to do is turn around. All we need to do is repent. All we need to do is put out a hand and he is the one who answers us. And we'd encourage you to take that step today. If God is calling you to take that step, I, I, I hope, I hope as God does business in your heart as we sing, that you come to us afterwards. We'd love to have a conversation, love to pray with you and help you take that step. The next area is maybe you have been sitting in the belly. Maybe you have in the past or you're sitting in it right now. I hope your perspective and the process has become very evident to you. That our perspective matters, that the process is there and you need to let the belly do its work no matter how uncomfortable it is.
I'm gonna pray for you. Last one is this. I believe there's a challenge in Jonah's prayer and it's a challenge in prayer to all of us. Is our prayer, is our worship preceding God's deliverance? Is it prayer and worship that is dripping, based in, foundationally set in faith in a holy God who does not fail? in the faithfulness of God, in the faithful dad who doesn't let us down. I don't know the picture you have of an earthly dad, but I guarantee a heavenly dad is perfect, never let you down. We cry out to that guy. We cry out to that God, that faithful one. Let me pray for us before we sing. Father God, as, as we have seen ourselves in the story of Jonah, I pray right now you would be doing business in hearts. I pray you'd be setting out steps that you'd be making it so crystal clear that there's a tangible next step, whatever it might be, that we would move forward in faith, that we would be a people who pray and worship even when we're sitting in the belly and when we're sitting, sitting on the beach, that we would have a voice that is a voice of thanksgiving and gratefulness to a great God who does not let us down, who is faithful, who meets us in the belly, who meets us in the open ocean, who meets us on the beach, who has a great purpose ahead of us and will set us up for it. And so Lord, I pray you do business in hearts right now. I pray as we sing, as we lift our hearts, that you would be glorified, that you would speak to your people, that you would meet with us, present yourself with us. Let's sing together.